877-337-1045. Ryan Mudd behind the glass. He's spinning the Dollars Radio style for me tonight. He'll be the gatekeeper. And a reminder, I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well. My DMs at Zone always wide open for a faith-based conversation. Make sure that my mind and my heart are focused in the right direction here. So I want to define a word for you. We do the word up segment. And this is, it's interesting because the word up segment is new. And I am very torn on it. One, I don't know whether or not you guys are digging it. I, I, some of you have already mentioned to me you like it, but there's an inherent problem with it. And I think that it kind of gets to the word that I want to define. But before we get to the word I want to define, I want to talk about and ask you a question. Why is it that you listen to what you listen to on the radio? Why is it that you watch what you watch? Why is it that you choose X when you're consuming news content or sports content or entertainment or whatever it might be? Whatever it is that you choose, whatever it is that speaks to you in the proper way, why does it do so? This comes up again because ESPN canceled High Noon which is Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre's show. And I actually enjoyed the show. I did, and I actually told them so yesterday. But what I saw in reaction to it is, is what I want to get to. And I had a conversation, had somebody I have a lot of respect for, who's very good at speaking to large crowds, who wrote me earlier and asked me about reaching demographics and reaching certain people and what it is that causes people to listen to what they listen to and, and how you can reach them. And here's the thing that I saw as it related to High Noon, and I saw it everywhere. And I think this explains not why it was a shame that it got canceled, but exactly why it got canceled. From someone named Darius. They can cancel smart shows like High Noon, but other garbage gets ratings, so we don't get rid of those. From Jimmy Traina. Was e- and this is this is somebody who writes for Sports Illustrated. Was ESPN's High Noon too smart for daytime cable sports television? High Noon, this is from KPJ. High Noon was a show with two really smart, talented hosts that tackled topics with nuance and well-thought-out discussions. It never stood a chance. Dan Lebetard actually said on his show today that it it just shows people aren't, aren't smart enough. And that was what you heard. You heard some version of this show was too smart for the American audience. That, ladies and gentlemen, explains why this show was canceled. Not because it was too smart for the public, but because the sentiment that it was too smart for the public was actually in the building with it, was in the writer's room, was with those guys. And now let me define this word for you. Smug. 
Smug is an adjective. It means excessive outward pride. You're super proud of yourself. You're holier than now. You're super excited to tell everybody how right you are. You're self-satisfied. Your chest is always puffed out. Smugness sends people running the opposite direction. So here's why I'm confounded and conflicted about the word up segment. I think it's a cool idea. And I, I looked at it from the perspective of we are speaking in 280 characters and we are texting with emojis and we're losing language. And it's probably going to affect how people write essays and things like that, how kids are going to be taught and what they're going to learn and what they're going to retain. And language has always been really important to me. As someone that's been blessed enough to be able to write and talk for a living, I credit a lot of it to my family, my mom and dad drilling me when they had me in spelling bees for years and years before we even moved to the state of North Carolina. My third through fifth grade, that was spelling bees. And I was pretty successful at it. And I was successful at it because they drilled me. And in the process of drilling me, I learned a whole lot of words, not just how to spell them, but what they meant. And it was important to me. But the problem with the segment is, and you've heard me, if you've heard the segment, you know I've kind of bent over backwards to try and tell you, I'm not assuming you don't know these words. Because I don't want to lecture you or assume that you're too stupid to know or have ever heard the word petulant or lugubrious before. I just want to bring them back in. I just want to talk about them. I want to use words that you're not going to see on Twitter. You're not going to see on Instagram. You're not going to see on Facebook. And maybe if your kids are listening, it is a word that they haven't heard before. And maybe they could use it in a paper. But I, I have to keep telling you over and over again, I'm not assuming you don't know this. Because once, this is what, I don't know what makes you listen to what you listen to. And that's what I kind of want you to tell me tonight at 615-737-1045 or via Twitter at jmartzone. And the question that I was going to ask, and I teased yesterday, was now that football season is over, what are you watching? Like, what are you catching up with on your DVR? What are you watching on Netflix? What are you watching on Hulu? Is it the XFL? I mean, it can be sports, but what what is taking your entertainment eyeball? What is taking your entertainment dollar right now, and why? And I thought, you know, we'd get a wide variety of answers, and I still want to do that. You can call me and tell me about those things, or we can do it tomorrow as well. I can't tell you why you watch what you watch, but I can tell you why you don't watch certain things. And one of the biggest reasons is when you get the sense that the people you are watching and or listening to think that they are smarter than you, you're done. You're going somewhere else because you can't listen to smugness. You can't take smugness. We all, to some degree, have a smug side. But smugness, when it comes across as outward pride with your chest puffed out like you're just superior to everybody else, that's not going to get the desired reaction. So everyone saying this show was too smart for the American audience is the problem. Even if that were true, like even if it were true that that show was super smart, and I do think, I mean, both those guys are well-educated. I I think um, Pablo went to Harvard. 
They're, they're both smart guys. There's no question about that. But they didn't fail because everyone else was too dumb to understand what they were thinking about. They failed because people just didn't care. It didn't resonate with people. It's not because they didn't understand what Bomani and Pablo Torre were saying. It just didn't actually have any impact on them. What we live in, and you know what? So much of what I do is solo, for the time being at least. And there are many times that I wish I had another person in this room with a microphone in front of their face that I could talk back and forth to. You hear Midday 180 and 3HL in the wake-up zone, and it's a room full of people, all with opinions. It's a marketplace of ideas. And even in the shows that I have done with people, very rarely have I disagreed with them because I've been very friendly with them ahead of time or ended up being very close friends with them. And it just, we think alike. And if I ever had a show with other people in the room, I would want someone that I could respect, but also someone I would vehemently disagree with because I would know as somebody that's worked in media for a while and watched this, that would be great for content, for ratings, for all of those things. It'd be great for my brand, my business. It'd be great for the success of the show. The biggest problem for High Noon was not that it was too smart for everyone. It's that Pablo and Bomani are best friends and they never disagreed. You have to have a back and forth. And if it's, yeah, you're dead right, and let me tell you why, that's going to become dull as a doornail. And when you add to that a lot of, I don't think they went as political as some people thought they were going to when it started, but we knew where where they were going to go on every issue. And it was going to upset a large swath of people. And there has been a change. There has been a sea change against people trying to tell you how you should think. There's something out there right now called a cancel culture. Where people on social media are canceling individuals, a lot of them obviously higher profile individuals, for something they said or maybe they were pro-choice or they were pro-life. This isn't just one section. They're getting canceled, meaning those people are done. They're shunned. They're excommunicated from the culture. The problem with social media and the problem with the cancel culture is that the people that are canceling, it's just this big echo chamber where people that already agree are canceling people that don't matter in their sphere anyway. The rest of the country isn't canceling along with those people on social media. Social media makes you believe that that's the discourse, that that's what's acceptable, that that's the norm, that this take on this person is gospel. And that's just not true. The loud, extreme voices on Twitter, liberal and conservative, the loudest voices, the ones you hear the most from, I'm not going to say they're the most ignorant, but I am going to say that they are the least representative of the general public. But smugness 
even in the feeling about what high noon was going to be and what some of these other quote woke unquote entities and projects and products were going to be. You look at what ESPN has canceled, but you also look at what they've greenlighted. There is a move away from some of this stuff because it's proven not to work. Why do you consume what you consume? If you didn't watch High Noon, why didn't you watch High Noon? Was it because the time slot was bad or was it because one of the hosts rubbed you the wrong way? I mentioned yesterday, one of the reasons I don't have a lot of interviews on this show, especially not coaches and players, is because I just don't think they're that entertaining. And I think that I have a decent sense for what you would want to hear. The reason I listen to the Midday 180 is not because of who they're going to bring on the show, even though a Greg Cosell or something like that certainly doesn't hurt. I listen to Midday 180 because I think Hutton, Chad, and PK are rock stars together. I listen to 3HL because Brent, Mickey, and Dawn entertain me. I don't listen to them because of who they're going to bring on. That's just a little bit of a bonus if you care about that stuff. Those of you that listen to me, first off, I don't take it for granted, and I thoroughly appreciate it. Even if I turn out not to be your cup of tea, I appreciate the five minutes that it took for you to figure that out. But hopefully you're listening for me, not for who I can bring on the show. If I don't think that I can enhance the show by bringing on someone that's going to make me more intelligent, which I hope then will translate and some of you might not have known some of the same stuff I didn't know and we can all get smarter together, then what's the point? And that's not because I think that I'm some superstar that needs to talk for an hour. It's just I feel like my audience wants to hear from me more than me asking a question for 20 seconds and then somebody answering it. But I can tell you, if I had a co-host in this room, I would certainly hope that we were coming from different backgrounds, different perspectives, because that's how you actually make something compelling. It's not that High Noon was too smart. They were too agreeable, and they were programming their show for what they wanted, not for what their audience wanted, or not for what the audience wanted. Like I said, I enjoyed the show, and I told him so yesterday in a tweet. I I liked those two guys together. I liked that feeling. I don't necessarily need the debate all the time. But smugness needs to be taken into consideration, not just from the people associated with the show, but the people commenting on it. The media assumes because these two really smart liberal guys got canned that everyone is too stupid. And that's why they fail, because oh, the American public's just too dumb to understand this. So we've got to take choice and decisions away from them. Like they, they, We've got to save them from themselves. They're going to end up drowning themselves or setting themselves on fire if we don't take all these things away from them. That's just not how it works. People just, it wasn't their cup of tea and they moved on. It's not to say those guys weren't smart. It's to say it wasn't canceled because they were too smart. That is smugness, and it's a smug opinion of them that maybe they themselves don't even share. Every time I read that comment, I was just like, this right here is why it got canceled. It got canceled because people think that you think that they're dumb. So they're just going to go ahead and watch things, not that affirm them, but that don't talk down to them. 
One thing that I hope that I do on this show, and you can certainly tell me at Jmart Zone if I have failed in this mission, is that I don't talk at you. I don't talk above you. I hopefully make it feel like I'm standing right in front of you with a hand outstretched to shake your hand or to you know, tap you on the shoulder, give you a fist pound, something like that. I just want to talk to you, and I want to hear from you. Because if there's one thing that I have learned is that there are things I don't know and things I will never know. And it's refreshing because it means every conversation I have, every interaction that I have, I could easily come out smarter than I was when I started because of that person. Hopefully that is the anti-smugness. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Old Vampire Weekend for you. Dislike, the name of the tune. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I asked a question, why, and maybe just a thought question for you, why you have chosen to consume what you consume in entertainment. That goes for radio content, podcasts, certainly what you watch, what you attend. What is it that makes you attend what you attend? What is it that makes you listen to what you listen to? What is it that makes you watch what you watch, read what you read, trust what you trust? I think the ultimate goal is to, and you know what? I was going to say it. It was going to come out the wrong way. Is to get down on your level. Is how I was going to say it. You just want to feel like the person is standing in front of you, not belittling you, not making you feel unintelligent, not making you feel insecure or inferior in any way. Just having a conversation with you. You want to listen to people that seem larger than life, but also approachable. People that you trust, that you believe in. I think the connection is less about what I say sometimes than how I say it or the lack thereof. I was thinking about Aaron Sorkin during the break. Aaron Sorkin is... I mean, he's a great television showrunner and writer, both on Broadway and on, you know, the small and big screen. West Wing, Sports Night, A Few Good Men, just a few examples. But Aaron Sorkin's the very definition of smug because Aaron Sorkin has increasingly, as is um, the newsroom was the Prime example of this, but also the failure of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip on NBC is another example. He preached at you. He tried to tell you how you should think. And he created characters that were villains that unfortunately reflected a lot of his viewers. But he created them like they were villains just because they had a certain way of thinking. It was a smugness that reverberated through the screen, through the technology, 
and made you feel like this guy thinks he's better than you. Let me tell you the worst thing. One of the worst things that you could possibly have someone think about you is that guy thinks he's better than me. That girl thinks she's better than me. The essence of mean girls. The movie really was people that walked around with an air of superiority. And what it led others to do. One of the things that it leads you to do is go in the opposite direction. Those that are able to connect. Yeah, you can find that niche and you can find, yeah, this is what the audience wants to hear. And then you can just serve that over and over again. That's a simple answer. But if you're just conversational and you make them feel like they're in a barbershop, not in a lecture hall, I think you've kind of won that battle. And even though the discussions on High Noon were intelligent enough, it always felt like you were just watching two people that weren't really listening to you. I think that might be at least some of the way it was intended, and or not intended, but how it was executed. I, I didn't see it that way. I actually enjoyed the show. But it, but it just struck me that every example as to why the show was canceled was just simply built around the fact that everyone is too dumb to have understood these two brilliant human beings and ESPN are fools for letting them go because they're smart and it's sad that the country is dumb. That's just not going to win you a lot of approval. I mean, even think of like political debates, and I'm not talking about last night's in particular, but just politics in general. Who are the candidates that get knocked down the fastest? Usually it's the ones that come across smug and superior. Yeah, if you're a robot and you can't connect, that's going to hurt too. But it seems like the people that get elected more often than not are the ones that, quote, yeah, I could go have a beer with that person, unquote. If you watched High Noon or the shows like it, did you feel like, yeah, Pablo would want to have a beer with you? I think maybe that's what it is. Would you want to have a beer with that person is the wrong way to look at it. How about would that person be okay to share your space for 15 minutes and have a conversation? Or would they feel like they were lowering themselves if they did so? I mean, look at all of the media that works and all the media that doesn't. How many of those people come across smug? Very few. Some, yes. And there are just some rock stars that are going to deal with it. But there are a very, very select few. And a lot of them have done it for a long time and did it from the beginning when there wasn't much else out there. And so they've kind of been grandfathered into this legacy deal where they can get away with it. Two younger guys, maybe not as much. When we come back, CBA being sent to a vote to the players, 17 to 14. But there's a lot of bad information out here. And these players are not doing themselves any favors with the way in which they're responding to this. I'll talk about that. Also, I want to talk about the NCAA transfer rule that's being proposed. Uh, This could be the end of college sports as we know it. I know that sounds doom and gloom. I'm paid to give my opinion. And I'll do it again next here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. 
Welcome back, Big Six One Zero Four Five, the Zone. Six one five seven three seven one zero four five. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. My name is Jason Martin. So the competition committee came out and said that the PI review rule results this year are not great. You don't say. I'm not going to pat myself on the back. But I didn't think that that review situation needed to happen in the first place. It hasn't. People are just like, oh, well, it just it wasn't applied right. They didn't do it enough. No, it just shouldn't be done. Because you're adding too much subjectivity into it. It's not like you should be okay with making a bunch of mistakes, but are they making a bunch of mistakes? The rule was changed because of the worst call we've ever seen in American pro sports in the NFC title game last year. Good uh, rule for life is to never base your actions on the worst possible scenario. You can't live your life based on it. Now, sometimes you can you can be cautious, certainly. But you have to look at what's normal more so than anything else. Things can happen. Bad things can happen in any situation. But you can't walk around in bubble wrap. That was the worst call we've ever seen, meaning there's never been another one like it. There are so few cut and dry calls that were going to be affected in a way where officials were going to say, oh, we totally got that one wrong. We're going to overturn this. They need to get rid of the rule. I don't know if they're going to, but they need to get rid of the rule. Now, CBA. The collective bargaining agreement, 17 to 14 from the player reps with one abstention. They're sending it to a full vote, meaning to anybody who paid NFLPA union dues in the 1920 season, not the year 1920, 2019 and 2020. They are eligible. I think there were 2,041 people that paid the dues. So technically there could be 2,000 votes. There has to be half of whatever the voting block is, not meaning 2,000, but meaning if there's 1,700, then there has to be half of 1,700. So what, 851 would have to vote for it in order for it to go through? I mentioned yesterday to you that this whole deal is harder, much harder for the player side because the owners, there's 32 people that have to come to a two-thirds agreement. But the players are all over the place. Russell Wilson comes out and he comments things about how he doesn't agree with it, doesn't like it. J.J. Watt last week says that's a hard no on the new proposed CBA. Aaron Rodgers, not a fan. David Bakhtiari fights and says he's not a fan as well. This kind of stuff is fine privately. But I don't think that this is doing anybody any favors to be done in the public sphere. Because there's so much that these people don't know. For instance, here's what Russell Wilson tweets. The NBA and MLB are doing it right. Players come first. All NFL players deserve the same. We should not rush the next 10 years for today's satisfaction. I vote no. 
I agree with the sentiment there, and I said that. They don't need to rush the next 10 years for today's satisfaction. But the insinuation that players aren't coming first. Marquise Pouncey puts out a video with a lot of expletives saying, I vote no. Our NFLPA, the dudes at the top, the leaders, that's bleep and bleep, bleep, bleep. They're not looking out for the best of the players. Eric Winston, who was the NFLPA president, says no one is rushing into anything. We spent the last 300 days listening to our guys and negotiating this deal. The proposal will be sent to all players, and if somebody doesn't like the terms once they've seen the entire package, I understand. That's why every player gets a vote on it, and every vote counts. I'm happy to hop on the phone with any player at any time, and anyone is always welcome to come to our annual rep meeting or to join any of the numerous calls we have had or will have in the future. Let me know. Chase Daniel, Bears quarterback. So many rumors on what this deal entails for the NFLPA. Any player with any questions or concerns about this deal, please reach out to me. I've been at every meeting the past three months. Would love to tell you exactly the economics behind this. Player leadership has worked tirelessly for you. The players that are commenting publicly, here's Bakhtiari. So can we let an executive group of NFL agents be a part of our council to negotiate our CBA? This is ridiculous. Just going off on the player reps because of what he's heard. Now Bakhtiari is standing up for his quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. It does feel rushed to me. This whole thing feels rushed to me. And the players shouldn't just run out willy-nilly and accept it. But they need to do this behind closed doors. What is being accomplished by tweeting all of this stuff out to the public, which is then just going to lead to a bunch of misinformation? Do we not have enough misinformation and half information out there right now? Why didn't David Bakhtiari go to his player rep or anybody else's player rep and have a conversation and get educated and know exactly what's going on. It doesn't help him to let me know what he thinks about the CBA because I don't have a vote and I don't have any power to do anything about it at all. This stuff is just being put out by all of these players when it should just be handled behind closed doors. If I'm in contract negotiations, you're not going to hear about that on the radio, I promise you. You might hear about the aftermath of those conversations whatever might change or not change or you know re-up or whatever like that but you're not going to hear about it during the actual negotiations i mean cuba gooding jr and jerry Maguire was on the phone saying show me the money he wasn't on twitter describing show me the money everything has to be done in public now doesn't it everything you can't even eat dinner without sending six different photos of what you ordered You can't go to a concert without tweeting out seven videos, and I'm now incriminating myself because I always send out a video from almost every show I go to. Like, you can't just live your life. But some things need to be handled privately because when you talk and you don't have the full story, you might end up sounding less than intelligent even if you're not. Like, even if you're smart, you might make a fool of yourself here. Bakhtiari is backing up his quarterback. It's fine to be against the CBA. And look, you have a free reign and you have a right to come out if you want to and say what you say. What you say. But that's not going to help get a deal done or kill a deal. 
it's not like Eric Winston reads David Bakhtiari saying what he's saying. He's like, oh, well, you know what? We got this wrong. Let's cancel this deal out. We're not taking less than 70% of revenue. Like, what sense does that make? I just don't understand why negotiations here need to be in public. We know that there are some issues that need to be handled. We know that the players aren't a huge fan of the 17 game, that they need more concessions, a lot of them, to make that a reality, that they still want to get more revenue because, quote, the economy's stupid, unquote. We get all of this. But I don't need this on Twitter. It's not like I'm following a lot of these guys, but I see this story and I see all these people that are commenting. It's like, what is this accomplishing? You guys should be talking to those that recommended this for a vote. And recommending it doesn't mean you should accept it. It means let's let the players vote on what we've been able to hammer out over the past 300 days and we'll work from there. There's just there's too much of a rush to have an opinion. You shouldn't have an opinion until you have the facts. That's like reading the headline but not the story and then tweeting out the headline even though it turns out to be completely out of context from what's actually in the article itself. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the Big Six tonight here on 104.5 Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. They are dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom, and they're doing it through Rent Estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renner's Warehouse, they're the rent estate company. Coming up next, Vols on the road at Arkansas. A little college hoops. Stick around. Vol Network will take over for me here in about 10 minutes or so. Tom Brady odds. I saw Alan Bell tweet this out from Sportsline. Patriots one to four odds right now to maintain Tom Brady. Titans, I think, are fourth on that list. That sounds a little bit more right. I don't think he's going from New England. I've said that before. If I turn out to be wrong, I'll be the first one to say I was wrong when the time comes. But I've never thought for a second he was going to play anywhere but New England this coming season. He's using... A little bit of leverage and a little bit of I don't mind having people. I don't like I like having suitors. Tom Brady's never had suitors because it's always been a rubber stamp that he's going to stay where he is. So he has an opportunity as an unrestricted free agent coming up mid March to, you know, be on match game or be on the dating game and listen to some other teams and see whether or not or maybe just feel them out, even if he has no intention of leaving. And I, I don't think he does. Speaking of leaving, the transfer proposal for the NCAA, which would basically be one transfer for a player with instant eligibility. Now, some requirements, meaning academically eligible and things of that standing. This could be the end of college sports, at least as we know it. Because what would stop, what would happen almost immediately is, even though high school recruiting would continue, don't you think? that universities and athletic programs would start recruiting other programs. Recruiting, like, you know, I went to Western Kentucky. I also went to NC State, so I kind of saw it from both sides. But I went to Western Kentucky. Antonio Andrews had a great year. Don't you think if he had one great year, then somebody comes and says, hey, why don't you come play for me at Michigan or something to that degree? 
and then you leave and you get instant eligibility, like that would destroy smaller schools. Listen to Oklahoma AD Joe Castiglione. I'll just read what he said. He wrote, I've had people from other universities. I won't tell you which ones. We've had a student athlete leave to go to that university, which was fine. They left in good standing academically. They wanted to have a chance to play more than perhaps they were getting here. We get that. They transferred to another school, but they had to sit out. You know, the current, you have to sit out for a year. People are calling saying, well, you could write a letter to say that the student athlete was prevented from something, and that's why they felt they had to leave, couldn't you? I was speechless, basically asking for us to lie about the reason they left because it would help in their case to become immediately eligible. I know for a fact it's happened in many cases. This would just open up the floodgates. Scott Drew, Baylor head coach. We know what kind of year Baylor's having. He's got four transfers in his starting lineup this season. He says, I think what's going to happen to transfer rates is that they're going to go through the roof. After one good year in a mid-major, you're out. After one good year in a low major, out. One bad year at a high major, you're out. Grass is always greener. It's going to be very tough to manage your roster. And that manage roster thing has been out there from a lot of coaches, including Nick Saban, who said, you know, we would be able to go recruit other colleges and other universities and other campuses to bring people in to replace who we were losing, but it would be happening. It would basically be some weird, limited version of free agency in college. It sounds absurd. Like, yeah, it. the reason why it stinks is because players have to sit out and coaches don't. I mean, we saw the Colorado situation where the head coach has a good recruiting class and immediately leaves and takes the Michigan State job when D'Antonio resigns. So all those players are screwed to some degree. I mean, yeah, they get to play at Colorado, but they're not playing for the person that sold them on coming to the university, or at least that program, because things will change in the wake of new leadership. It always does. Watch what happens to Disney in 2021 when Bob Iger steps down. That news shook everybody, and people were like, well, what's going to happen to the Marvel Universe? Is Kevin Feige still going to be in charge? Maybe, but there will be changes. There always are. Nothing's the same when leadership changes. So the players have to sit there and you feel bad for them. I don't think the answer is immediate eligibility except in the right cases. Like, I can't start, so I'm going to go somewhere else. I didn't get the starting job, so I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to play immediately. No. I don't think that – I think that the the waiver process and the decision-making needs to be a lot more consistent than it's been. But the big problem is allowing the free migration of coaches – without a cutoff date. That is causing players to feel like there's an imbalance, and they're right. They get locked in, but coaches are able to roll. And then there's the pay-for-play and everything else. But I don't think the answer is to open up the floodgates where I'm the head coach of USC, and I see a kid that's killing it at Middle Tennessee, so I'm going to go lure him away from that program because he's going to get immediate eligibility, and he's like a free agent that I acquired. I mean, think about the tampering rules and things that you would have to put into place, and how would you stop it? I mean, how dirty is college athletics? Blue chips came out over 20 years ago, and we're still quoting it and talking about it. At least I am. So is Chad Withrow, because we love it. It's a dirty business now. Add this to it. Imagine what that would do. Like, you can get into a whole lot of other 
arguments about things that aren't going right with the revenue generating sports and college athletics and the movement and migration and the lack thereof. I wish that there was some kind of a middle ground. And I think that there probably needs to be some kind of changes in the waiver process, what's accepted and what's not, but you can't just let somebody leave with no penalty to them. Like it needs to be a bit of a hardship for them to make that move. Except in rare cases. Now it doesn't need to be vindictive in the case of the school that's losing said player, but the player can't. I just don't want to see colleges start recruiting on campuses. I kind of like recruiting in high school. That makes more sense to me. Maybe I'm traditional. Maybe I'm showing my age at the ripe senior age of 41. I don't know. I just think this ain't what college sports is supposed to be. And I'm not surprised that a lot of coaches, not just on the highest level, but also on the lower levels, understand there's a problem here. Can you imagine being a coach of one of the smaller schools, knowing that if somebody's good, they're just going to get called up to the show? It's like a minor league baseball team, but you're not supposed to be a farm program for the big universities. Speaking of one of those big universities, they're in action next. Actually, two of them, I guess. On the road at Arkansas, Vols. We'll see how they play tonight on the hardwood. I will talk to you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Sing good night from the Music City.